0: That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback.
1: Evening Times, May 19. Lifestyle. The veggie food scene in Glasgow. Report by Sarah Campbell. In celebration of National Vegetarian Week, The co-owner of one of the city's most celebrated meat-free eateries has weighed in on what the Glasgow veggie scene has to offer. Just shy of its first birthday, Sylvan on Woodlands Road is a relative newcomer, but has already made its mark described by a reviewer as the restaurant that could break veggie and vegan into the mainstream. Speaking of their inspiration, Colin Campbell said, Glasgow has an amazing number of vegan restaurants that that do really well at recreating that kind of fast food style. There's a real strong connection with the music scene at places like stereo or the 13th note that makes for a sort of bar experience, which is great. But our idea for Sylvan was to open a space that was very much a restaurant. That's not to say that our food is strictly healthy. There will be cream or cheese used in dishes that call for it. My business partner Jake is a chef and he has been vegetarian all his life. So he really knows what he is doing and is passionate about it. Between them. Colin and Jake Martell have a wealth of experience with previous projects, including Asian-influenced Spot, The Hug and Pint, and The Hen of the Woods, catering brand which ran for years at the Glad Cafe. The expertise shines through at Sylvan in an ever-evolving menu that showcases fresh local produce with small plates like green beans with tomato and herbs and roast pears with fried bread and Stilton custard. It's not surprise then that the eatery has fast become a hit with both veggies and carnivores alike. Colin said, if we had opened the restaurant even a few years ago, I don't think we would have had the same success. I'd say it's 50-50 of people who come to us because they are vegetarian themselves and people who are just looking to go out for a meal, regardless of if meat is served. It's really common for us to have one person at the table who is vegetarian and others that have come along with them because of that, but also really enjoyed their food. That's the great thing about vegetarian or vegan food no one gets left out. I think a lot of people who don't eat meat have had that experience of not being able to have anything at an event or dinner. We've really enjoyed our first year here. There are still a few empty units on our street. It would be great to see some places doing the same kind of things that we are moving in. Report by Sarah Campbell.
2: From the Glasgow Times, Friday 20th of May 2022 from the news section MLS Glasgow sets up additional soup kitchen night to help tackle cost of living crisis by Sarah Paciaroni, multimedia journalist A homelessness charity is introducing additional soup kitchen nights to its services to help tackle the cost of living crisis MLS Glasgow has added fortnightly Sunday soup kitchen night to its outreach program On the 2nd and 4th Sunday of every month, MLS Glasgow will be offering food, clothing and advice on the corner of Cadogan Street and Blackstreet Street in the city centre from 7pm to 9pm, alongside volunteers from Partners Help the Homeless, The Invisibles and the University of Glasgow. This is in addition to a weekly Wednesday soup kitchen in the same location from 8pm to 9.30pm. MLS Glasgow provides a home, meaningful work and support for up to 27 people who have experienced homelessness. Many of them help others in need at the soup kitchens, alongside partners and volunteers. Jean Denton has been volunteering at the soup kitchen for the last 20 years. She said, I am born and raised in Glasgow, and the changes I have seen in the homelessness over the years have become worse, not better. It is a travesty that there are more people using our outreach program than when we first started the all those years ago. For many people who visit us, It isn't just about the food. We are probably the first person they have spoken to all day, and in some cases, days. The soup kitchen was initially set up to help people who are street homeless, but MLS Glasgow and its partners are now seeing more and more people attending who are struggling to pay the bills and afford to eat. A service user, who asked not to be named, told MLS Glasgow, I can't survive on a private pension. It affects the amount of benefits I get. I've got a roof over my head, but only £2 to last me in my electric meter from Sunday to Tuesday. This is a good place to come to, just to talk about things. Another service user said, I used to be a chef, but now I'm not working on an antidepressants. I cycle for several miles before I get to this place. I'd love to be on the other side and volunteer when I'm feeling better. It's very important to me to be able to come here. MLS Glasgow relies on a network of donors for food and ingredients, to run in the soup kitchen. Some of the meals are prepared by the beneficiaries of MIS Glasgow, who themselves have experienced homelessness. Alongside other food donations collected by MS Glasgow, these meals are then loaded into the van and transported from the charity's community building to the soup kitchen. Director of MS Glasgow, Richard Alwood said, At MIS Glasgow, we stand in solidarity with people in need. We aim to help people build back self-worth and self-esteem from experience of homelessness. Part of what we do involves supporting people into work and training at our charity shops in Partick and Hamilton Hill, and part of this is by offering people opportunities to support others within the wider community. It's a sad to see more and more people in need of help, but working together with our partners, we can help stem the tide and remind people MIS Glasgow is here to offer a safe place to live for people that currently at risk of or currently experiencing homelessness. If you would like to support Emmaus Glasgow as a volunteer, please visit wwwemmausorguk slash Glasgow or get in touch at volunteer at emmausglasgow.org.uk, or 07915 and that report was by Sarah Paciaroni. From the Glasgow Times, Friday, the twentieth of March, twenty twenty-two, from the news section. Girl taken to hospital after she was hit by a car on Hamilton's Townhill Road, by Nicole Mitchell. A girl has been taken to hospital after she was hit by a car in Hamilton. Cops were called to Townhill Road at around three twenty p.m. this afternoon, following a report of a car hitting a female pedestrian. She was taken to hospital for treatment following the incident. It is understood the pedestrian is a child but this is not known how old she is or how serious her injuries are. A police Scotland spokesperson said, Around 3.20pm on Friday, May the 20th, 2022, police were called to the Townhill Road area of Hamilton following the report of a crash involving a car and a female pedestrian. The pedestrian was taken to a hospital for treatment. And that article was by Nicole Mitchell. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 20th of May 2020, from the news section Man Arrested in Connection with Death of Man in Bells Hill by Nicole Mitchell, multimedia journalist A man has been arrested in connection with the death of a man in Bells Hill. Emergency services were called to thorndean Avenue at around 11.30pm on Wednesday, May 18th after Samuel Hamilton was found severely injured on his doorstep by his elderly mother after he was allegedly assaulted making his way home from a relative's house. The 56 year old was pronounced dead at the scene. Police have now confirmed a 32 year old man has been arrested in connection with the death of Mr. Hamilton. His relatives are aware and a report will be sent to the Procurator Fiscal. Officers are now appealing for witnesses who may have seen or heard anything suspicious to get in touch and say there will be an increased police presence in the area over the coming days. Detective Chief Inspector Cameron Miller of the major investigation team said, I would like to reassure the local community extensive police inquiries are ongoing and officers are gathering CCTV footage from the surrounding area. Door-to-door inquiries have also been carried out. I would ask anyone who is in the area on Wednesday night and who may have seen or heard a disturbance or witnessed anything suspicious to please get in touch with us. We have set up a website that gives members of the public access to a form to send information directly to the Major Investigation Team. Anyone with any CCTV, dash cam or any other footage that they think would assist the inquiry can also send via this link. You can select to remain anonymous when submitting information. The website can be accessed at mipppoliceuk slash operation scot22s16 one Inspector James McCluskey of Belles Hill Police Office said, At this time, our thoughts are very much with Mr Hamilton's family as they come to terms with this terrible loss. We recognise this incident will also have an impact on the local community. There will continue to be an increased police presence in the area over the coming days and anyone with concerns can speak with local officers at any time. I'd like to thank the public for their assistance so far. And ask anyone with information who hasn't already spoken with officers to please call 101. Anyone with information is asked to contact Police Scotland via 101 quoting reference 4247 of Wednesday, May 18, 2022. Alternatively, Crime Stoppers can be contacted anonymously on 0800 555 51. And that article was by Nicole Mitchell. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 20th of May 2022 from the news section Man left shaken and injured after he was attacked by teen during robbery by Nicole Mitchell A man has been left with minor injuries after he was attacked by a teen during a robbery in Clyde Bank The 61 year old staff member was attacked by the youth at premises in Mountville Road at around 4.20pm yesterday after he tried tried to stop him leaving with stolen goods the teen ran from the area with a number of items, and the man has been left shaken and with minor injuries as a result of the incident. Officers are now appealing for witnesses to come forward. Detective Constable Colin Nickel from Clybank CID said, This was a particularly distressing inc- incident for the victim, who was attacked for trying to prevent the youth from leaving the stolen goods. We are appealing to anyone who was in Mount Bowie Road area around the time of the robbery and witness anything suspicious to please come forward. Equally, if you recognise the description of the youth, or have any further information, we are keen to speak with you. The suspect is described as being a male, aged between 15 to 17, with blonde hair. He was wearing a black hoodie and grey joggers at the time of the incident. Anyone with information is asked to contact police on 101, quoting incident number 2771 of May the 19th. Alternatively, Crime Stoppers can be contacted anonymously on 0800 555 one And that report was by Nicole Mitchell. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 20th of May 2022, from the news section, Man rushed to hospital with serious injuries after he was hit by bin lorry. By Nicole Mitchell. A man has been rushed to hospital with serious injuries after he was hit by a bin lorry in Cumbernauld. Emergency services were called to Main Road in Condorat at around 12.10pm today following the report of a man being hit by a bin lorry. The 58-year-old was taken to Queen Elizabeth University Hospital following the crash. His injuries are understood to be serious but not life-threatening. Officers confirmed an investigation into what happened is underway. A police Scotland spokesperson said Around 12.10pm On Friday, May 20th, 2022, police were called to the main road area of Condoret Cumbernauld following a report of a road crash involving a bin lorry and a 58-year-old man. The man was taken to Queen Elizabeth University Hospital for treatment and his injuries are believed to be serious but not life-threatening. The Health and Safety Executive has been made aware and inquiries into the incident remain ongoing. That was a report by Nicole Mitchell.
3: This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 20th May, 2022, from the opinion section. Alan Sugar is like your relative that shares nonsense on social media. By Adam Miller. You know the relative on Facebook who shares articles from satirical websites like The Onion and says, How is this news? well that's Alan Sugar. The man has 5.2 million Twitter followers of which maybe 400 are following for his business acumen and the rest to see what spectacular nonsense he hits out with next. In April 2018 Sugar genuinely did share an Onion article in the belief that it was real And we're not talking about one of their more subtle works of satire. The caption read, Taylor Swift, grateful Kanye West controversy, taking heat off new swastika tattoo and was accompanied by a photoshopped image of the pop superstar sporting a giant swastika tattoo on her face. If that pops up on your timeline, you're either laughing or thinking, hmm, I get what they've done, but that's not for me. Not my boy Sugar, though. No, he found a third way, which was to share the article and tweet, Eh, I don't get this. Can someone explain? Is she making a statement or what? He has form in this area. For some, March 22nd, 2020 is remembered as the last day before Britain entered lockdown. For many others, it will forever be known as the day when a spoof headline did the rounds which read Breaking News! Russia unleashed more than 500 lions on its streets to ensure people are staying indoors during this pandemic outbreak. Sugar shared the picture of a lion in a car park with the caption Is this a wind-up? Yes, Alan, it is. I've not touched on his offensive tweet about the Senegal football team or even the time he tweeted, the chicken these, these chews are not free, free range if they're banged up like Julian Assange. I just fought a lengthy battle with a spell check in order to bring you Sugar's words of verbatim. He's also shown no remorse in having foisted Katie Hopkins upon the world in his role as boss on The Apprentice. All of which is to say his opinions aren't to be taken with a pinch of salt so much as an Eddie the Eagle, Eddie Stobert's worth of it. That's why it's no surprise when he completely failed to grasp the benefits of working from home. In response to an article about accountants being given Friday afternoons off, Sugar tweeted, This is a bloody joke. The lazy gits make me sick. Call me old fashioned, but all this work from Hope. BS is a total joke. There is no way people work as hard or productive as when they turn up at work locations. The pandemic has had a long lasting negative effect. Lord Sugar is just the latest multi-millionaire to dismiss those who have spent the pandemic working from home as work shy and attempt to ensure the plebs are deprived of anything that makes their lives even slightly more bearable. Working from home has been a godsend for many during the pandemic, myself included. The novelty has long since worn off and there are many days in which I miss the face-to-face interaction with colleagues that I enjoyed pre-Covid. But as someone in the clinically vulnerable category, it's kept me safe for two years while enabling me to keep paying the bills. The likes of Boris Johnson and Richard Maidley have recently joined Sugar in suggesting that working from home has a negative impact on productivity but it is not possible that having an extra hour's sleep might in fact make you more productive. There's been little to suggest otherwise, with a recent study from Texas A&M University School of Public Health finding no evidence that working from home has a negative impact on productivity. With restrictions having been lifted, many are now opting for hybrid working, in which they work the same hours, but spread them between home and the workplace. If those employees still hit targets while maintaining a healthier work-life balance, why would anyone have a problem with that? It turns out we don't need to be visible to our bosses at all times in order to achieve results. We've seen that productivity didn't fall. We've spent the extra time with ourselves and our families. We've had the longer lion. That genie won't fit back in the bottom. We know there's something better out there than losing two hours a day to a commute that involves being squashed into subway carriages, waiting in the rain for a bus, or being overcharged for petrol before sitting in a traffic jam. Just as Andy Dufresne didn't crawl through 500 yards of foulness and trek all the way to Zihuatanejo just to collect red and bring him back to Shawshank State Penitentiary, so I have no intention of being trapped under an oniony oxter amongst maskless commuters just to carry out a job I can do every bit as well in my dressing gown. And if you think comparing a standard subway journey to 40 years wrongly imprisoned is the most ridiculous thing, you'll read today, give at Lord underscore sugar a follow. That article is by Adam Miller. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 20th May 2022, from the Lifestyle section. Plan to turn Glasgow flat into cafe refused by council. By Lauren Brownlee. A bid to turn an empty flat in Glasgow's south side into a new cafe has been refused by Glasgow City Council. Planning permission had been put forward asking to turn the property at 156 Calder Street, Govan Hill into a small business. The applicant planned to replace the current windows and doors and transform the property into an eatery with a sales area and customer toilet. The proposed hours of operation would have been from 9am to 6pm. Reasons for refusal listed by planning bosses included that no suitable bin store had been demonstrated. They added the proposal therefore fails to meet placemaking principles which the council seeks to promote in order to protect the amenity of the existing residential properties. The proposal is therefore detrimental to the residential amenity and the character and appearance of the local area. Another reason included that in- Adequate information had been provided of the specifications of the ventilation system. Therefore, the proposal fails to protect residential amenity of the flatted properties above. That article was by Lauren Brownlee.
4: Glasgow Times News on Monday the 23rd of May. Glasgow School of Art to host first student showcase since the pandemic. An article written by Rebecca Newlands, digital journalist. The Glasgow School of Art, or GSA, will soon host its first student exhibition since the pandemic. Opening on June the 1st and held over three weeks, GSA's Degree Show 2022 marks the first physical showcase of student work in two years. Works from more than 600 students explore and address some of the world's most important issues, such as climate emergency and sustainability, gender, race, representation, health and well-being, social injustice and post-pandemic recovery. GSA student Fleur Connor decided to portray the challenges faced by students during lockdown with her painting Untitled Diptych One – Fleur said, my painting was produced by adapting during lockdown to what little space I had and the few physical resources I had to create. That's why it follows a grid pattern, because the painting is made from smaller works from my sketchbooks. It's really exciting for me to have the diptych, which was born out of frustration, to now be a symbol of something positive. It's really nice to be featured alongside the work of my fellow students and for that work to be celebrated. For those who cannot attend the exhibition at the Garnet Hill campus, a digital graduate showcase will allow people to engage with students' work and participate in digital events over the course of the show. Graduates can continue to add to their digital portfolios on the showcase for up to 12 months and show how their work has developed in a professional capacity. Professor Penny Macbeth, GSA director, said every year our students create the most inspiring and dynamic portfolios of work, And we're very excited to be welcoming the city into the GSA for the first time in two years to experience in person the incredible creative talent in our community. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 23rd of May. One in five run out of money before payday. An article written by Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. The cost of living crisis is leading to one in five people in Scotland running out of money before payday, according to new research. A poll for Citizens Advice Scotland by YouGov has found 9% of people always run out of money before payday. It includes wages, pensions and benefits, and a further 11% say they run out of money most of the time. The study found that's up from 15% last year. Citizens Advice Scotland say it's forcing more people into debt just to pay bills. Miles Fitt, Citizens Advice Scotland financial health spokesperson, said one in five people running out of money before payday is extremely concerning, given that these figures have seen an increase since 2021. The cost of living crisis is with us and these figures are an early indicator. With soaring energy bills and prices continuing to rise in the shops, people are facing increasingly difficult, and in some cases impossible, choices on spending. A real issue here is that incomes simply aren't keeping up with the costs. Social security payments like universal credit effectively fell in real terms this year, and that was after the decision last autumn to remove the £20 per week uplift to the benefit. People were asked, how often these days, if at all, do you run out of money before payday, including benefits and pension payments, and need to use credit, an overdraft facility, or borrow money to get by? Mr Fitt added, we would like to see policymakers take every measure they can, whether large or small, to help blunt the impact of the cost of living crisis, because it will be through cumulative and collective effort that we can help as many people as we can to get through this crisis. Advice plays a key role and the difference it makes can be truly life-changing. One in five people saw a financial gain after getting advice from the Citizens Advice Bureau last year and the value of those gains was a staggering £4,400. We're here to help. Our advice is free, confidential and impartial and people shouldn't hesitate in coming to us. The charity is encouraging people to seek advice from the Citizens Advice Network – whether that's online, through digital self-help tools like moneymap.scot or from a local Citizens Advice Bureau. An article written by Stuart Patterson. Glasgow Times News, on Monday the 23rd of May. Police Masterclass at Final for US Cops. An article written by Rebecca Newlands, digital journalist. Officers showed American cops how to police Scottish football matches at this year's Scottish Cup Final. Fifteen American delegates from major police departments, including New York, Los Angeles and Tucson, visited Scotland last week to learn about policing on this side of the pond. Their trip concluded with a masterclass at the Rangers vs. Hearts fixture at Handon Park on Saturday, where U.S. officers observed their Glasgow counterparts. The visits are part of the international collaboration on policing, which aims for different forces to share experiences and improve ideas in police work on a global scale. Deputy Chief Constable Will Kerr said Police Scotland's statutory mission is to improve the safety and well-being of people, places and communities, and this partnership work enables us to continue to develop how we do this. This sharing of international partnership experiences strengthens our ability to provide the best possible policing for the public and our own people, as well as through key partners across Scotland. Scottish Police Authority board member Tom Halpin added, A core purpose of the Scottish Police Authority is to promote and support continuous improvement in the policing of Scotland. Exposing our own police to both differences and similarities in policing internationally is essential in building our reputation for excellence and commitment to rights-based policing. I was delighted to again observe firsthand Police Scotland's commitments to being global citizens so strongly demonstrated in the successful policing operation for COP26 in Glasgow. The American officers' visit included a trip to the Scottish Parliament, Police Scotland headquarters in Tully Allen and learning about Royal Protection Policing and the role of negotiating in sieges. Officers also got the chance to patrol around Greater Glasgow before the visit to Hampden. Deputy Chief David Lazar of San Francisco Police Department, who was participating in the masterclass, said... The international collaboration on policing between Police Scotland and United States agencies has been powerful and extremely impactful for us, personally and professionally. We've been able to learn from one another on meaningful topics, such as building trust and legitimacy in the communities we serve. Our professional engagement with one another allows us to learn best practice in policing, resulting in improved police service at a local level. Police Scotland officers previously travelled to Washington, D.C. in March, where some of their learning involved hearing about the Capitol Hill attack from the U.S. Capitol Police's perspective. Cabinet Secretary for Justice Keith Brown spoke to the Masterclass and said, I'm continually struck by Police Scotland's focus on human rights, and this is one of the reasons why I feel Police Scotland is one of the most progressive police services in the world. To be able to share these values as part of collaborative sessions will help build trust in policing, both within Scotland and beyond. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 23rd of May. School to be demolished after fire destroys historic building. An article written by Sarah Hilly, local democracy reporter. A Glasgow B-listed historic school in the East End, ravaged by fire, is said to be demolished. Plans have been lodged to tear down the building in Queen Mary Street as it's considered dangerous. A massive blaze broke out at the Bridgeton derelict building last month with 12 fire engines rushing to the emergency. Glasgow City Council applied for listed building consent to demolish the building this month. MSP Paul Sweeney said he'd tried to persuade the council to preserve the facades of Queen Mary Street Public School, but to no avail. Hand demolition has already started, according to a planning application lodged by the council. The application said, Following the outbreak of fire on the evening of April 23rd, Glasgow Building Control confirmed following a site visit that the building was now dangerous due to damage and should be demolished. Hand demolition of the northeast corner later commenced. Explaining the condition of the building, the application said almost the entire roof structure is destroyed and internal walls have extensively collapsed. It said external walls are now likely to be structurally unstable. Lettering in the stonework is to be kept for future use, but Mr Sweeney would like to see more of the building preserved. He said, despite my vigorous attempts to persuade Glasgow City Council to examine options to preserve the facades of Queen Mary Street Public School after the disastrous fire that gutted the building last month, they've steadfastly refused to do so and have already proceeded with total demolition of the building. This application for listed building consent is therefore a fait accompli, but I will still object to it on principle. He added, I asked that specialist conservation engineers were brought in to assess the building for the feasibility of façade retention in a similar way to the solution recently achieved at Hag Hill School where whole façades were numbered and dismantled carefully for future reassembly but this was refused. The status of the planning application is pending consideration. The site is reportedly owned by the council. An article written by Sarah Hilly. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 23rd of May. Two Glasgow women raise money for Stroke Association Scotland. An article written by Rebecca Newlands, digital journalist. Two Glasgow women are stepping up to raise funds for a very important charity. Alana Geddes, who lost her father John to a COVID-related stroke in 2020, is hosting a gala dinner, while Marianne Donald is taking on her first full marathon. Both are raising money for the Stroke Association in Scotland. Marianne, who's a stroke researcher at Glasgow University, is looking into the damage caused by strokes. She's passionate about the cause and believes funding research is vital. She said, Stroke research is fascinating and I believe there's a great opportunity to learn more about the brain and ultimately put our research into practice to improve stroke outcomes. I also believe that the practical help and support the charity offers will help rebuild lives for people affected by stroke. Far too many people are living with this devastating condition and more help is needed to fund research into new treatments and ongoing support to help improve recoveries after stroke. Andrea Watt, Relationship Fundraiser in Scotland for the charity, said Marianne is undertaking an enormous challenge. Running a marathon is no mean feat. We're so grateful to Marianne for supporting the stroke cause and wish her well in her efforts to increase awareness and raise funds. Alana is organising her gala dinner alongside her seven sisters in honour of their dad, former billposter man John. John is described as a kind, loving father who always put others before himself. Alana said, despite the pressures on the NHS at the time, staff did an amazing job of looking after Dad as well as ourselves. He got to FaceTime family and even joked with my brother-in-law about the football. As he deteriorated, Dad got to be in the same room with me as I was unwell with Covid at the same time. We spoke about how proud all his girls were of him and I thanked him for everything he's done for us. John passed away on November 30th 2020. He spent five days fighting. Alana works as a stroke nurse and has found the personal experience of seeing her dad suffer a stroke very difficult, so she and her family are determined to raise awareness. The event will involve bingo, a buffet and a raffle. She added, We're raising funds for the Stroke Association as we saw how fantastic stroke care was at a very difficult time during the pandemic. As a family, we hope that by raising awareness of stroke, more people will know the signs of a stroke and treat it as an emergency – so vital for stroke recovery. Any funds we raise will help other stroke survivors and families get the support they require. Madeline Donnelly, also of Stroke Association, said it's truly amazing what Alana and her family are doing to support the charity. Having already donated funds to the charity, we're delighted to have their continued support of our work. Funds raised will go towards raising awareness of stroke and supporting more people affected by stroke so that they can rebuild their lives again. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times, News, on Monday the 23rd of May. Workers told by a Scottish Government Minister to be sensible over pay claims. An article written by Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. Workers need to be sensible, a government minister has said, as a pay dispute has led to train drivers not working overtime. The resulting driver shortage has led to timetable changes from today, affecting trains in and out of Glasgow. The changes have led to anger and frustration, with last trains now earlier in the evening and in some cases a gap of two hours between trains. For Glasgow to Edinburgh via Falkirk High, the last train from Queen Street will be at 22.15, and the last train from Waverley will also be at 22.15, but no trains will run between 20.15 and 22.15. The last Glasgow to East Kilbride train is at 22.17, but no trains between 20.47 and the last train. Others include Glasgow to Aberdeen, the last train is now at 18.41, Queen Street to Easterhouse's last train is 21.56 and Queen Street to Annisland via Maryhill has its last train at 18.03. Despite Scotrail coming under public ownership last month, a Scottish Government minister said workers need to be sensible in pay demands, but said it was not for ministers to get directly involved in the talks. Employment Minister Richard Lochhead told the BBC's Sunday show... My message to all workers in Scotland and all these sectors is we have to be sensible. Everything has to be affordable because the country's in a very, very precarious position at the moment. And if we take wrong decisions, we could end up with a recession in the near future, which will cause a lot of damage to people's lives and local businesses in Scotland and our economy. It's not for me as a minister to say what's the right or the wrong wage for a train driver or anyone else but just to say that it's really important that people are compromising, being constructive and recognise the consequences of these disputes dragging on for too long. He added, this is a matter between Scotrail and the unions and we're urging them as hard as we can to get this resolved as quickly as possible. Union leader Kevin Lindsay of Aslev said, it's not sensible to ask workers to accept 2.2% when inflation is heading north of 10% and it's not credible to blame workers for the state of the economy. Neil Bibby, Scottish Labour transport spokesperson, said the minister had no answers to the chaos engulfing Scotrail on the SNP's watch. To claim that the government cannot act is laughable. The government runs Scotrail, therefore it owns these cuts and owns this crisis. Robert Sampson of Watchdog Transport Focus said passengers who relied on late trains, especially those doing shift work, will be disappointed to hear some of them have been cut, leaving them with limited options to get home. All the parties need to get round the table to resolve this issue and get trains running again. Scotrail said, We're aware how much disruption has been affecting our customers and believe introducing a temporary timetable will provide greater certainty and reliability for those travelling. An article written by Stuart Patterson.
5: From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the twenty fourth of may twenty twenty two, from the news section. Images show how Glasgow Hotel could be turned into flats with gym, cinema room, and roof gardens, by Drew Sanderlands. New images show how 147 student flats with a gym, cinema room, and roof gardens are set to replace a Finiston hotel. Plans have now been submitted to Glasgow City Council for the conversion of the former Lawn Hotel site on Sochi Hall Street. The applicants, PL Glasgow Limited, a joint venture between the Park Lane Group and Bridal Partners, wants to deliver an iconic development. They have rec- requested permission to use an old hotel as student accommodation and as short-stay properties in non-term time. If approved, the 102-bed hotel, which is made up of two buildings, an A-listed tenement on the corner of Socky Hall Street and Kelvin Grove Street, and a 1960s building on the corner of Sochi Hall Street and Derby Street would be turned into 147 luxury studios. According to the plans, early investigations have highlighted the existing facade of the 1960s building consists of a mixture of combustible insulation and rain screen cladding. It will be replaced with an industry-standard non-combustible facade. They added, The vision is to sympathetically repurpose a vacant hotel into luxury student accommodation and to refurbish, repair and regenerate a significant heritage asset asset on the western edge of Socky Hall Street, as well as seizing an opportunity to visually improve and better embed the building into the local urban fabric while also dramatically improving its thermal performance. The student accommodation would include a new courtyard, two roof gardens, a gym, cinema room, events kitchen and study lounge. It would be a car-free development, but 147 cycle parking spaces are set to be provided. Plans stated, the Grade A-listed building will undergo some internal alterations to the rear of the building, along with window upgrades and fabric repairs. The 1960s building element will undergo a far more comprehensive refurbishment, with significant works proposed to the existing façade to provide an industry-standard, non-combustible façade. They added, the façade will be replaced with modern, compliant and non-combustible cladding. This also prevents an opportunity to improve the Socky Hall Street and Derby Street elevations and create a more aesthetically sympathetic envelope that gives a better setting to the A-listed building and wider street locale. The development will also include an extension to the rear and a setback rooftop extension to Derby Street. That article was by Drew Sanderlands.
6: From the Glasgow Times of Tuesday the 24th of May 2022, from the Opinion section, Mike Daly. When it comes to housing, we've a poverty of ambition. It was great to speak at Scotland's Housing Festival at the SEC in Glasgow last week, not least because it was an in-person event after two years of online meetings and conferences due to COVID-19. My topic was the right to a home. Given where we are financially, that had to include the ability to afford a home. Scotland has some of the most progressive housing rights, particularly in the field of homelessness in the world. But rights are meaningless unless you can access and enforce them. Thereafter, our system of local government and social housing has to have the physical infrastructure and public funding to realise these rights. Let's consider the evidence in Scotland. Over the last 30 years, homeless applications to Scottish councils have fluctuated between 34,000 to 60,000 each year. We presently have more than 13,000 households in temporary homeless accommodation and 26,000 open homeless cases. The 19th century Scottish essayist and philosopher Thomas Carlyle once said teach a parrot the terms of supply and demand and you have an economist. You don't have to be John Maynard Keynes to realise that we have a supply side housing problem and we've had it for some time. Over the last couple of decades, the failure of our housing policy has been to believe the private sector can solve this. Over the last 22 months in Glasgow, we've paid £17 million to private B&Bs to accommodate homeless people. Far more is spent in Edinburgh. We use B&Bs to house vulnerable and traumatised people. Why do we do that? Why have we never built proper emergency temporary accommodation in the public or housing association sector? Likewise, why do many councils charge eye-watering rents for temporary homeless flats? They have the power to levy the same rent as for Scottish secure tenancies, but they choose full cost recovery. We can use taxpayers' money to provide high quality emergency accommodation. That can be done either by the council itself housing associations or charities. We have a Scottish National Bank. Why don't we use that to build more new properties and borrow the capital? The income stream from housing benefit will cover temporary accommodation costs and rents would cover permanent home costs. Why do we have a poverty of ambition and apathy for innovation? In 1967, Harold Wilson's leadership as Prime Minister saw 400,000 new homes built in one year across the UK, roughly half for social rent and half for sale. That equates to more than 32,000 new homes in Scotland. Consider the Scottish Government's current housing supply 10-year target for 2022 to 32, 110,000 affordable homes with 70% for rent and the balance for purchase. That's 11,000 new homes each year. Is that enough to meet our demand for homes? The economist John Key notes that over the past century, population growth in the UK has averaged a little less than 0.5% a year, but has risen more recently with migration. Average household sizes have become smaller with people leaving home earlier and older people living longer allowance has to be made for replacing older properties no longer fit for occupancy taking these factors into account k estimates that housing supply should rise by one percent a year in the uk that means we need about three hundred thousand houses each year to meet demand That would require 24,300 new homes annually for Scotland, yet we're planning for less than half of that. Three weeks ago, the Court of Session, Scotland's highest civil court, held that local authorities were under an absolute legal obligation to provide accommodation suitable for occupation by a homeless household. Last week, in X versus Glasgow City Council, the court granted final decree, including a declarator, the council had acted unlawfully and out of of the 2014 unsuitable accommodation order. The council has now lodged an appeal to the inner house of the court of session. If you create housing rights for people, they need to be properly resourced and funded. I'm not allocating fault here, local government has been systematically underfunded year on year. This is equally the responsibility of government and our parliament in Holyrood. We need to do two things. First, introduce an emergency rent freeze for 12 to 18 months in the private rented sector, given the cost of living crisis. Second, rapidly expand our building program for public and social housing with guarantees to safeguard the existing assets of social landlords in taking on such projects. Keynesian economics teaches us if we increase the supply side of social housing, the demand for private rented accommodation will reduce as would out of control rents. If we did that, the legal right to a proper home would become a reality for thousands of households in Scotland. This article was by Mike Daly. From the Glasgow Times of Tuesday, the 24th of May, 2022, from the Opinion section, Beat the Squeeze. We tried Glasgow kilo sale. Here's How It Went by Sarah Passeroni, Multimedia Journalist One kilogram of clothes please, said no one, ever. While zero waste stories have been popping up across the city in the last few years, selling loose beans, pasta, pasta, grains and even cleaning products, Buying clothing by weight is something most of us would not think of. But with the cost of living and climate crisis unfolding, people are coming up with new ways to buy and sell to help save the money and the planet. Last weekend, I made my way down to the Brigitte for the Glasgow Kilo Sale, a vintage fashion market where, you guessed it, you pay for your clothes by weight. How does a kilo sale work? There are various markets across the UK who operate kilo sales in British cities on a rotational basis. Last Saturday, May the 21st, Shop Kilo was in town with its selection of pre-loved goods. The concept is simple. Rummage the endless rails packed with unique vintage pieces as well as iconic brands. Instead of paying the value of a single item, the staff will place your items on a scale and you will be charged by weight. One kilogram of clothes at Shop Kilo will set you back at 20 pounds, but different markets charge different prices. Of course, if you pick up clothes weighing more or less than one kilogram, the cost will be calculated accordingly. There is an entry fee to the market for shop kilo it was £3 between 10.30 and 11.30 and £2 until 3pm. From 3pm until 4pm entry is free and the cost of one kilogram goes down to £15. Is a kilo sale worth the money? It's hard to tell. As you pay by weight and not the estimated price of a single item, you might end up paying more for something very heavy but cheap. However, I spotted high-end brands like Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren or Tommy Holfiger at a much lower price than at regular vintage sales. My advice is to get a good mix of items to get your money's worth, you don't want to end up with just one coat weighing two or three kilograms costing £40 to £60 when it would be cheaper based on value. How does buying second-hand clothes help the environment? According to Climate Action NGO RAP, W-R-E-P, an estimated £140 million worth of clothing is sent to UK landfill, each year. Fast fashion brands are criticised for their unsustainable use of water, land and fossil fuels as well as the impact of toxic chemicals and the use of cheap plastic based textiles that harm the environment. Buying pre-loved helps avoid waste and disincentivise the fast fashion industry. Plus, you can find good quality clothing at cheaper prices the verdict going early is a must as the sales fill up quickly and although stock is added throughout the day there is definitely less choice in the afternoon the market is huge so arm yourself with patience and get stuck in it helps if you have an idea of what items you might need and make sure you can get a few good outfit combinations with your existing wardrobe to really get your money's worth. Set a budget and try to gauge the weight of the clothes you are picking. Although there is no option to weigh your clothes before going to the till, if you exceed your set weight, the staff will let you discard the extra items. I picked three skirts and two shirts, but ended up selecting only two skirts and one shirt that will make good office outfits. These weighed 0.6 of a kilogram for a total of 1260. In my experience, even with the price of the entry ticket, this turned out cheaper than most charity shops or pre-loved clothing apps. But in the end, whether you bag some new clothes or not, kilo sales are definitely fun events. You will find people of all ages and styles and it's a good place for finding inspiration for your wardrobe. Keep an eye on Shop Kilo's social media to find out when they're next in town. Would you buy clothes by weight? Where do you find the cheapest clothes? Let us know in the
5: comments. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 24th of May 2022 from the news section. New ITV police drama The Elect starts filming in Glasgow City Centre by Esther Tane. A new ITV crime drama is now filming in Glasgow City Centre. The Elect is a Western adaptation of Japanese crime novel Six Stroke Four and will be a four part series. In the book, Detective Mikami struggles to choose between a career in media relations and criminal investigations. Readers follow him as he debates the responsibilities and duties of the two jobs while navigating criminal cases. Production crews were spotted in the city of St Vincent Street, where exterior and interior scenes are being shot this week. The filming started yesterday and is due to last until Thursday. A spokesman has confirmed that some actors will be dressed as Police Scotland officers, but the crew is working together with the force, who will be on scene the whole time. On the picture, a Scottish Police Service sign can be seen as part of the set. They have also warned residents that machinery and equipment vehicles will be parked in the area. On Thursday, a temporary road closure will also be put in place between 8am and 7pm on Gordon Street, between Bothwell Street and St Vincent Street, and St Vincent Lane, between Pitt Street and Blythswood Street. This article was by Esther Taney.
2: From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday 25th of May 2022, from the news section, Domestic Abuse Survivor Forced to Give Up Nursing Over Cost of Living Exclusive by Kirsty Ferick. A domestic abuse survivor says she has been forced to give up studying nursing over the rise in the cost of living. Chantelle McCafferty says she felt an unsafe relationship to stay in a women's shelter last year but has been struggling to get back on her feet ever since. It comes as household bills have skyrocketed after Ofgem increased the energy fuel cap by a whopping 54%. The 24-year-old, from Glasgow, had been in her final year of nursing at UWS in Peasley but couldn't afford to be a student after leaving her relationship. It meant she had to pull out and get a job in a cafe full-time to support herself and tackle her debt when in one of the worst economic crises since the 1970s. Shontelle had hoped to get her own council flat within six months but now expects it could take her around one year before she can leave the women's shelter due to high demand. This meant she had to put her beloved dog Layla into foster care before a pal agreed to take her as dogs are not allowed in the refuge. Shontelle has shared her experience with the Glasgow Times as part of her Beat the Squeeze campaign which is highlighting the pressing issues affecting people's living standards. She said, It has been a nightmare for me. I just want to get back on my feet but the cost of living is so hard right now. I left a bad relationship and moved into a women's shelter and have been struggling to get my own council house. I had to give up studying nursing as well as I can't afford to be a student. I also had to give up my dog as they don't let you have them in the support accommodation. She's staying with a friend now but I miss her so much. If I got my own place I could get my dog back and start my life again but it's just too expensive with prices for everything going up. I am a full-time worker. I was trying to do all the right things and go to university after school and make good choices, but I have ended up in this situation. I've never broken any laws and always been a good member of society. How can I be in this place? It's ridiculous. It's a real struggle. I should be on the right path. My circumstances have got me here worrying about food and bills. Chantelle left her relationship in December 2021 after a family member became concerned and helped her flee. She was helped by women's aid who put her into a flat which allows just one allocated named visitor for privacy and life safety reasons. Chantelle is now hoping to start a new job which will allow her to tackle her debt and save up to move out and get her dog back. She also hopes to return to university one day to complete her nursing degree. It comes as Police Scotland recorded 65,251 incidents of domestic abuse in 2020-21, an increase of 4% compared to the previous year. This is the fifth year in a row this figure has shown an increase. The definition of domestic abuse used by Police Scotland states any form of physical, verbal, sexual, psychological or financial abuse which might amount to criminal conduct and which takes place within the context of a relationship. The relationship can be between partners married, cohabiting, civil partnership or otherwise or ex-partners. The abuse could be committed in the home or elsewhere including online. End Violence Against Women said We are alarmed by what these increasingly challenging economic conditions will mean for women and girls with very little offered for those on the sharpest edge of the cost of living crisis. Gender inequality, including wider economic inequality, both a cause and consequence of violence against women. We are concerned that the government's proposals will widen rather than reduce the existing income inequalities faced by black and minoritised, migrant and disabled women who are already at heightened risk of gender-based violence. They added, at the same time underfunded frontline services for victims and survivors of gender-based violence are already struggling to meet demand for support, which so which soared during the COVID-19 pandemic. This leaves us with a dangerous and alarming double whammy of rising poverty and over oversubscribed life-saving support services. If you are worried about yourself or someone you know regarding domestic abuse, contact Women's Aid for help. You can email them at helpline at womensaid.org.uk or head over to their website for more information at womensaid.org.uk and that article was an exclusive by Kirsty Fierick from the Glasgow Times Wednesday the 25th of May 2022 from the news section Lanarkshire Dr Krishna Singh jailed for 12 years for sex crimes against patients by Connor Gordon and Grant McCabe a shamed doctor convicted of sex crimes against 47 female patients has been jailed for 12 years Krishna Singh, 72, was described as hiding in plain sight as he abused his position to prey on his many victims over 35 years. His targets included a rape victim, teenage children and pregnant women. They were subjected to kissing, groping, inappropriate examinations and sleazy comments during appointments. Singh's crimes were uncovered during the huge Operation Rule police probe after one woman bravely reported him to the authorities in 2018. The pensioner was today sentenced at the High Court in Glasgow. He had been found guilty of 54 charges, including multiple sexual and indecent assaults, in April following a two-month trial. The offences mainly occurred at medical practices in North Lanarkshire, but also at a hospital, accident and emergency department, a police station, as well as during visits to patients' homes. The charges spanned between February 1983 and May 2018. He was even awarded an MBE for medical services during that time. He insisted the patients were wrong and that some of the examinations were were what he had been taught during medical training in India. He was found not proven in nine other charges and not guilty in a further two. The judge told Singh that his sexual abuse was calculated and manipulative against 48 women. Lord Armstrong added, You perpetrated these crimes against these patients over a period of 34 years. I consider it a grave aggravation that when you committed the crimes it was a breach of trust. You abused this position to carry out unnecessary physical examinations of a sexual nature, including examinations without a chaperone and in circumstances where there were no clinical justifications for your actions. You undermined the standing of the medical profession and eroded the trust of the female patients. You have not expressed regret as you don't accept actual responsibility for the criminal offending you now stand convicted. Society is abhorrent to such conduct and the court must reflect that as it is important people people who commit these crimes and know you did, know they will be brought to justice. Singh was also put in the Sex Offenders Register for an indefinite definite period. The doctor of Airdrie, Lanarkshire had been seen as a trusted pillar of the local community between generations of families since becoming a GP in the area in the early 1980s. It led him to also be employed as a police casualty surgeon, which included examining victims of sexual violence. But he soon gained a notoriety among female patients for how he behaved. Many became so uncomfortable going to see him that they insisted a friend or relative joined them at appointments. In her speech to jurors, Prosecutor Angela Gray said The crown case is that Dr. Singh was in a routine of offending against women Sometimes subtle or camouflage Other times obvious and flagrant Sexual offending was part of his working life Access to women as when the situation arose And taking the chances when he could A quick feel A look in an intimate area An indecent comment This was his way of working Hiding in plain sight Women after women came into the witness box to recount how they had suffered at his hands. Among those was a 50-year-old hospital worker who was examined by Sergeant at Motherwell Police Station in March 2008 after she reported being raped. The woman was less shocked after the GP quizzed her on whether the sex was consensual. She told jurors, He asked me if I had been wearing a skirt and I said I was wearing a jeans and a t-shirt. He asked how low my top was and if my cleavage was showing. He was asking if I was being provocative. He said, so, you're not a good time girl. The woman's ordeal was made worse when she went on to be molested by the GP. Another ex-patient told how Singh would press and prod around her pant line even if it was a checkup up and a sore throat. She was initially a teenager when going to see the GP and said it was a running jolt between friends what Sing was like. But, asked what she what she thought, the 39-year-old mum stated, If that was my daughter, I would be sitting in the dock in a murder charge. No professional should act like that. A man admitted to jurors how he threatened to assault Singh after catching him groping his then-pregnant wife at an appointment in the mid-90s. The witness recalled, Dr. Sim came towards us and put his hands, palms facing up, and then squeezed her breast two or three times. He then said, your breasts are getting big. I said, get your hands off her or I'll punch you through the window. He then scurried away. Other victims told how they thought of Sing as a creep and a wee pervert. One woman who was attacked told the trial, He was like Benny Hill. He came with both hands, gripped my breasts and said big boobies. He laughed. Another tried to make her medication last longer to delay having to go back and see him. The court heard how victims were often hesitant about reporting Singh through the years. Women felt they would not be heard as Singh was laterally senior partner at the surgery and his wife was practice manager. Asked why she had not spoken up at the time, one victim, who was a youngster at the time, told the jury, Maybe naivety? She went on, I thought me being a teenager or a young adult, well, who's going to believe me above an adult in a respected position? But, one woman briefly came forward in 2018, leading to the doctor finally being brought to justice. She complained to NHS Lanarkshire after being inspired by the Me Too movement in light of Harvey Weinstein's Hollywood scandal. The 30-year-old had been molested in 2012, which included her being kissed and sing looking down her underwear. In her letter, she said, Inappropriate behaviour took place on a couple of occasions when I required medical attention. I was asked if I was having sex with my boyfriend and he told me not to. In court, Singh denied the crimes and claimed things like touching breasts simultaneously had been taught to him during medical training in India. But one fellow medic who worked in the country dismissed that. Jurors had been out for more than two days deliberating. Janice Green, defending, told the sentencing that she did not know if the examinations were unnecessary but the manner they were carried out were criminal. She added, He knows custody is the only appropriate disposal for th- for this breach of trust. Victims put their trust in him. He will be vulnerable in a custodial setting as a result of his age, inexperiencing custody, and the publicity. Detective Inspector Stephen Morris of the Specialist Crime Division said, Krishna Singh is now facing the consequences of his appalling and predatory behaviour. Singh was a doctor and then a petition of trust at the time he carried out this sexual abuse. The victims have shown great courage in coming forward with vital information, making sure he was held accountable for his actions and ultimately convicted. I hope this sentence provides a sense of closure for them, and it sends a clear message that all reports of sexual abuse, regardless of the passage of time, will be thoroughly investigated by Police Scotland, and victims will be supported throughout. Procurator fiscal for High Court Ruth McQuaid said, Krishna Singh's behaviour was an appalling betrayal of the trust which exists between patient and doctor. He used his position for his own depraved purposes over many years. The courage and determination of his victims has brought this offending to an end and I would like to commend their fortitude through a long process. The Crown is committed to effectively prosecuting sex offenders wherever they operate in society. I would urge anyone who has been victim of such crime, To come forward, report it and seek support. And that article was by Connor Gordon and Grant McCabe. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of May 2022, from the news section Nicola Sturgeon becomes Scotland's longest serving First Minister by Kathleen Nutt, Political Correspondent Nicola Sturgeon has today become Scotland's longest serving First Minister, having been at the top role for a total of seven years six months and five days. She has overtaken the length of service of her predecessor, Alex Salmond, who quit as First Minister in the week of the September 2014 referendum, in which Scots voted against independence by 45% to 55%. At the time of that vote, Miss Sturgeon and Mr Salmond worked closely together at the heart of the first ever SNP administration, Holyrood. Since then, her relationship with the man she succeeded has turned sour, amid the Scottish Government's botched handling of harassment complaints against Mr Salmond. While she reached a new milestone, Ms Sturgeon, who became Scotland's first female First Minister when she took the job on in November 2014, seems unlikely to have little time to celebrate. As her Government faces criticism over cuts in services by the newly nationalised Scotrail and ongoing questions over the construction of two new ferries for lifeline routes, which are years late and over budget. She revealed on Monday she had been not for six by COVID-19 after testing positive on Friday, having experienced mild symptoms of the illness. She said she would remain at home for a few days. Over the coming months, the Scottish Government will also look to pass two of the most controversial bills in the history of the Scottish Parliament. The first, the Gender Recognition Reform, Scotland Bill, is currently making its way through Holyrood, and would see the reduction of the minimum age required for a trans person to apply for gender recognition certificate GRC, which allows for a birth certificate to be changed to reflect the acquired gender. It would also reduce the length of time required for a person to live in their acquired gender from 2 years to 3 months, with a further 3 month reflection period. While the bill has received widespread support from the LGBT community, with some even suggesting it does not go far enough, Women's groups have raised concerns about the impact of the legislation on the rights of women and girls. Debate around the issue has often become terse between supporters and detractors of reform, with aggressive debates often taking place online. Ms Sturgeon will also be tasked with shepherding a potentially legally problematic bill through Holyrood that could fulfil her primary political ambition, Scottish independence. The referendum bill, which is yet to be published by the Scottish Government, is expected to pledge a referendum before the end of 2023 the official government timeline for another vote. With Downing Street repeatedly digging in their heels over the subject in recent years it is unlikely the required powers will be devolved to Scotland to hold another referendum meaning the passage of the bill guaranteed thanks to the power sharing agreement between the SNP and Scottish Greens could end up in court. The Scottish government would then build a case that the Scotland Act 2016 allows for the Scottish Parliament to legislate for another referendum. Commenting on the milestone, Deputy First Minister John Swinney said, Becoming Scotland's longest serving First Minister is a landmark achievement, and one that Nicola Sturgeon can look on with pride. As the country's first female leader, her tenure has helped make Scotland a better, fairer country for all who live there. It has seen a huge expansion of childcare, progress in closing the attainment gap in schools and the access gap to universities, the establishment from scratch of a Scottish welfare system including game-changing measures to combat child poverty, as well as taking forward world-leading action to tackle climate change. And, under Nicola Sturgeon's leadership, we will redouble these efforts in years to come. All of these policies are helping lay solid foundations for an independent Scotland and we will now step up the work to deliver independence. Of course, the ultimate judges of the First Minister's leadership are the electorate, and, in election after election, they continue to give her a resounding endorsement. However, opposition party leaders said Ms Sturgeon had failed to tackle major problems during her tenure as First Minister. Douglas Ross, the Scottish Conservative leader, pointed to Scotland's high drug death figures and her pledge to close the poverty-related educational attainment gap by 2026, that was abandoned last week. He also underlined the delayed procurement of the two ferries, cuts to rail services, and an NHS in crisis as he accused the First Minister of being distracted by independence. Nicola Sturgeon may be Scotland's longest-serving First Minister, but her record is appalling. Across virtually every policy area, hers is a story of failure and broken promises. But the two that stand out to me are drug deaths and the attainment gap, he said. Nicola Sturgeon described closing the education attainment gap between her most and least deprived youngsters as the defining mission of her government, and yet, her education secretary shamefully ditched the pledge last week. He added, Instead of healing Scotland after the 2014 referendum, her constant push for another vote has split the public, distracted her government, and left business in limbo. For these reasons, history will look back on her legacy as extremely damaging for Scotland, Scottish Labour leader Anna Sarwar said, This is undoubtedly a personal achievement for Nicola Sturgeon, but ultimately she will be judged on her record. The legacy of this First Minister will be one of division and building and us-versus-them culture in our country. Scottish Liberal Democrat leader Alex Cole Hamilton said, Nicola Sturgeon deserved credit for a long stint of public service and the shift put in during the pandemic. However, it says something when asked to list the SNP's achievements So often members of her own party point to free personal care and free university tuition, both of which predate not just Nicola Sturgeon but the SNP administration entirely. There has been no replacement for the unfair council tax, the attainment gap is as stubbornly wide as ever, a decade of poor workforce planning has left her with record waits for A&E and cancer treatment, and she's launched more independence campaigns and ferries. While she hunts for more red meat for the independence faithful, Scotland faces the consequences of seven years of missed opportunities. Scotland needs a moderate, progressive government. Scottish Liberal Democrats will be at the forefront of building that alternative. And that article is by Kathleen Nutt. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the twenty fifth of may twenty twenty two, from the news section Sue Grey report, Boris Johnson says he didn't know about the breaches as he wasn't there. By Stuart Patterson, political correspondent Boris Johnson said he has learned a lesson after the Sugary report again criticised the leadership at Downing Street over lockdown parties. The report found drinking into the early hours, a karaoke machine, someone being sick, an altercation and a bring your own booze invite. In her second report, Ms Gray said, The events that I investigated were attended by leaders in government. Many of these events should not have been allowed to happen. She also said there were multiple examples of a lack of respect and poor treatment of security and cleaning staff during the events, which was unacceptable. The Prime Minister responded and said he now wanted to move on. He said he wanted to set out the context and said there were 8 days over a period of 600 days when there were breaches. He said while he was in attendance, he was not present when the breaches were committed. Johnson said he was there to thank people leaving government for their service. Of the events, he said, some went on far longer than was necessary. I had no knowledge of subsequent proceedings as I simply wasn't there. I'd been appalled by some of the behaviour, particularly in the treatment of the cleaning and security staff. When I said rules were obeyed, it was what I believed at the time. My attendance was not in breach clearly not the case when I left. He added, I am humbled and I have learned a lesson. Suge's report findings include, staff carrying on drinking at number 10 until the early hours of the morning on the eve of the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral, with the last departure recorded at 4.20am. Mr. Johnson joined five advisors in a food and alcohol event in the Downing Street flat on the evening of the announcement of Dominic Cummings' departure as chief advisor. Former proprietor and ethics chief Helen McNamara provided a karaoke machine for a cabinet office gathering where one individual was sick and there was a minor alter- altercation between two others. Then Senior Advisor to the Prime Minister Martin Reynolds posted, we seem to have got away with a bring your own booze garden party In a WhatsApp message to a special advisor. Multiple examples of unacceptable treatment of security and cleaning staff, with individuals experiencing a lack of respect and poor treatment, Mr. Johnson brought the cheese and wine to the garden gathering on May the fifteenth, twenty twenty, from his own flat. Opposition leaders renewed their calls for the prime minister to resign. Keir Starmer, Labour leader, said that report lays beard the rot that is under this prime minister, has spread under Number Ten. Treated the sacrifices of the British people with utter contempt, hubris and arrogance that believes it is one rule for them and another for everyone else. Ian Blackford, SNP Westminster leader, said, This report is utterly damning and the sordid details highlight the culture of boozy rule breaking that Boris Johnson presided over. The findings also once again expose Boris Johnson's lies to Parliament and to the public. And that article is by Stuart Patterson. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of May 2022, from the news section, Teen who caused Paisley residents untold misery has dark bike seized by digital journalist Sarah Campbell. A teenager in Paisley has had his dirt bike seized by the police this week. Officers took action yesterday after receiving reports that the 14-year-old had been riding the bike in an antisocial and dangerous manner. It has been said that the youth's behaviour caused untold misery to local residents. Following the incident. The Renfrewshire and Inverclyde Police Division has urged members of the public to familiarise themselves with laws surrounding off-road bike bike usage. A police spokesperson said, It is an offence to ride an off-road bike like this in a public park or other types of common land, footpaths and bridleways. It is also an offence to ride an unregistered off-road bike on a road or other public place. To ride on private land, you should ask the permission of the landowner. If you need advice on whether it is safe and lawful to use an off-road bike, please contact us on 101. Articles by Sarah Campbell. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of May 2022 from the news section Woman 27 taken to hospital following police incident that caused three hour M8 closure by Sarah Campbell, digital journalist. A woman was taken to hospital last night following a police incident that saw a stretch of the M8 near Glasgow airport shut for over three hours. The Glasgow Times previously reported that emergency services rushed to respond to a report of a concern for a person at junction 28 of the M8 eastbound at around 5.45pm. It is understood that a number of fire service vehicles, police officers and ambulance crews attended the scene. The road remained closed at junction 29-27, until 9.20pm, causing huge delays and tailbacks. Police have now said that a 27-year-old woman was taken to hospital following the incident. There has been no further information given regarding her condition at this time. A police spokesperson said, Officers received the report of a concern for a person on the MAD Spound at Junction 28 at around 5.45pm on Tuesday, May the 24th, 2022. A 27-year-old woman was taken to hospital. The M8 eastbound was closed between Junction 29 and Junction 27 until around 9.20pm. And that article is by Sarah Campbell.
0: And that was this week's Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.